Well, after all that excitement, uh, sermon from a 90-year-old, somewhat crippled, half-deaf preacher is going to be kind of dull, I'm sure. <laughs> well, my, what an unusual thing we've seen. You know, Tom McIndorfer commented to me this morning, he had to, I think he said, ask his wife's forgiveness, maybe apologize at least because he had no idea what all she had been doing during vacation Bible school until this year when he participated. He said, I'm worn out, and I imagine others are too. But what a marvelous time. What a, what a, wouldn't it have been a blessing just to see the video? Thanks be to God for all who did their part. You know, it's an interesting time of year, isn't it? We had Memorial, had Mother's Day, we've had Memorial Day. Uh, first day of summer, Juneteenth, yesterday, now the 11th federal holiday we have, two weeks from the day, 4th of July, and today, of all things, is Father's Day. <laughs> Quite an interesting day for me. As you know, I have four sons and a daughter, but I have a sixth child, too, that I've never met. My dear wife miscarried with our first child. And I wonder on October 20th, 2008, when she left my arms to fly into the arms of Jesus and enter paradise, did she meet that child? Someday will I meet my sixth child that I never met. Isn't God good? Father's Day. You know, I've walked with many of you for many, many years, and we've sat and had many very intimate conversations, and I know your life stories. I know that some of you came from homes in which you had a marvelous father, a great example, one who provided for you, one who did all he could to help you be a success in life. But no, for some of you, that isn't true. I know some of you, and I know your stories well, you had abusive fathers. Some of you that I know well had fathers that all they ever did was criticize you and did nothing to lift you up and affirm you. And there's some of you whom I know that had fathers that actually deserted your family and walked away and left a mother with children do her best to help that child and children in some cases. I know some of you had fathers that left one woman and his children and married another and had another batch. But all of you who have had these wounded situations, I imagine it's rather difficult to think of the heavenly father in a healthy way. I believe what God has given to me today is a message from him to help us see our Heavenly Father for what he is. As I thought about this message and prayed about it, uh, I felt led to look at the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verses 11 to 13 and also in, in Luke chapter 11. This it seems our Lord gave this prayer twice. 
Matthew records it as in the early years of the Galilean ministry. Luke records it in the latter part of the Judean ministry, some years apart. So evidently, our Lord gave this same teaching twice. In Luke, it was because the disciples said, Lord, John taught his disciples to pray, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, and so on. Where in Matthew, it is a part of that marvelous Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, the last part, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or rather, pardon me, uh, the, the closing uh, after we have said, you know, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those that trespass against us on the kingdom of glory forever. That part was not spoken by Jesus. That closing part is never found in any Greek manuscript until the late 4th or early 5th century. A manuscript is called the Washingtonianus, <laughs> because it's kept in the Smithsonian Institution in Washington. The next occurrence is the ninth century. So evidently, this model prayer was used in the church as a part of its liturgy, and to make it more fitting closing, they added that closing part, not as the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. But that was not spoken by Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with adding that, is there? Not at all. But we need to recognize it's not that which Jesus gave us in the model prayer. I call this prayer the model prayer, not the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer to me is in John 17, where our Lord was passionately praying to God that all of his disciples, all of his followers would be one so that the world would believe. And my, how we have frustrated that prayer, haven't we, by all the divisions in Christians, some cases even killing one another because they did not follow the established form of Christianity in their nation. But this is the model prayer. And let's take a look at it this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, how can we know what kind of a father this is? Who has ever seen him? Remember in Exodus chapter 20, as God was giving the law to Moses, Moses said, let me see your face. And the Lord spoke to him and said, no man has ever seen my face and lived. The same thing is true in John chapter 1. No one has seen the Father except the Son. And the same statement in 1 Timothy 5. No one has seen the Father. Then how can we know him? We can know him because of Jesus. Remember Philip said to the Lord, show us the Father, that will suffice us. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Believe that the Father is in me and I in him, or else believe because of the works that I do. And again, John 1 says, no man has seen the Father but the Son, and he has explained him to us. And so if we want to learn about the characteristics and the qualities and the heart of the Father, we look at Jesus, who was God in the flesh among us. What does he show us about the Father? One thing he shows us is that every individual he knows intimately and we spoke of this some weeks ago, that astounding statement made in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Not a sparrow falls to the ground without your father. You are more valued than any sparrow, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And we so again, Psalm 139, where David said, He knows my rising up, my sitting down, my going out, my coming in. He knows my thoughts before I even speak them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and I can only say for me too, David. No way I can grasp that. But God knows every human being who has ever walked upon this earth. He knows us intimately. He knows our thoughts better than we even know ourselves. What does that mean? Jesus gave a parable. He said there was a particular man who had a hundred sheep. He had the hundred sheep upon the mountain, and one of them strayed. What do you think, he said? <laughs> he left the ninety and nine and went after the one who strayed. Every individual is important to our Heavenly Father. Every How different that is from the Islamist. What does that religion do? It straps a bomb on a human being and sends that human being into a crowd to blow up themselves and kill many people because individuals don't count and we kill our enemies. Indeed, there sometimes God does send people forth who play with their lives. There was a six-week television series on Channel 17, an hour each time, called The Inexplicable. It's a story of how the gospel spread from nation to nation and continent, not continent to continent. Tremendous program. I watched not all of it, but some of it. And when they began to explain the first time that there were missionaries coming to America... Some of the first were Roman Catholics who came into New France, which is now northern Canada. One came to preach to the native tribes. And in that tribe, he began to have many converts, and the church was established. And then a neighboring tribe came and conquered that tribe and took him and tortured him and cut off his fingers. Some way he made it back to Europe. I don't remember how. But after a while, he said, I have to go back. God loves those people. And he went back, and as he was walking into the village, a brave walked up behind him with a tomahawk and split his head and killed him. There was another who also went to a particular tribe and began to evangelize, and many were coming to Jesus and a neighboring tribe came in and conquered them. They tied him to the stake and began to torture him. But while he was tied to the stake and being tortured, he was preaching the gospel. And so they cut out his tongue. And with just his lips babbling, tried to preach the gospel till he died. After he was deaf, they cut it, dead, they cut out his heart and ate it. They said, we've never seen such bravery. We want some of it. But it wasn't bravery is because the heart of God is being cried out. He didn't send these people among them to slaughter the enemy as Islamists do, but he sent them among them to tell them about his love. 
Our Father loves every individual. He loves you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And as we read in 1 Peter 5, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares about you. Isn't that a staggering thought? The God who made heaven and earth and all that therein is, the God who oversees everything, knows me better than I know myself, and he cares. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be that name. The Greek word is hagiadzo, which we translate hallowed. It means to sanctify something, to treat it with reverential awe. I enjoy watching golf, as does my son Greg. And a week ago, I, I don't watch much television, but on that particular occasion, I was watching the last few holes of the LPGA, the Ladies Professional Golf Association Tournament. And there was one golfer, one lady golfer, that was just phenomenal. Not emotional, very controlled, very deliberate. She actually was 13 under. An amazing score on a course after the rain. The ground was soggy. And she won. She was from Finland. She was the first woman to ever from Finland to ever win the LPGA. So a big deal was made out. Went up to interview her, and I thought, oh, good. And she first word, oh, God, blah, 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 blah. I thought, oh, no. Oh, God. That has become a slang expression, hasn't it? The second commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and God will not hold him guiltless. Who does? I have preacher friends, one especially. Jesus, oh Jesus, it's not meant as a prayer, it is a slang word. And I especially notice our young ladies sometimes drift into that, oh God this, oh God that. Some years ago I helped plant two churches among the black community. One, uh, there were I think seven of us, and we went to state federal, we put our houses up as collateral, we got a loan, and we built a church building and got a preacher from Kentucky to come, and each month each of us contributed, I was still doing, paying off that when I came to TCF. But one day I was with this black brother in the store, and I, I just said, oh boy, and that's not, don't you call me boy. <laughs> I wouldn't call him boy. It was just a slang expression. But tragically, some people take the name of God that casually. Hagiazo, Hagiazo, sanctified, holy, reverential awe. We should hold the name of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are two Greek words used for the will of God. One is thelemai, the other is bulamai. Thelemai tends to be used 
for God's wish and God's desire. Bulamai tends to be used for God's predetermined will. This is going to happen. Nothing can stop it. And I say tend to be used because both of those terms sometimes kind of bleed over into the other. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. One way we have the right to pray that prayer is that we seek to live according to the will of God. His thelema, his wish, his desire. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, no longer be governed by the lusts of this world, but by the thelema, by the will or the wish of God. And oh, what a beautiful thing Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it is for that reason he will send some of his children into the most dangerous places of the world because he loves and cares and wants to draw them unto himself under his embrace and those who say yes to that message come to know everlasting life tragically those who don't face a dark eternity in hell thy kingdom come thy will be done and Lord regardless of whatever else happens in the world may my life be lived only by your will, O oh God. Give us this day our daily bread. The Greek says, give us today's bread today. <laughs> Isn't that something? And Jesus later said, don't worry about tomorrow. The Lord knows about that. He even says, he knows what you need even before you ask. You know, <laughs> again, the individual thing. Now, that doesn't mean we're to sit around and say, okay, God, I'm praying, give me a bowl loaf of bread. <laughs> Remember, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, a man will not work, he should not eat. <laughs> Neither does that mean that we should just uh, never do anything to save up for the future. Proverbs 6 says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Notice how she gathers in the summertime, she gathers in harvest time, and to have food in the winter time so it doesn't mean that it's wrong to save up but it does mean that we recognize as believers and disciples of Jesus that it is he who gives the opportunity and sometimes that provision comes through other believers several times in scripture we are exhorted to Give to those who don't have. Remember James says, if a brother or sister comes to you hungry, naked, and cold, and you have it, and you don't give them anything, what kind of love is that? So those among us who can't find a job, those among us who are disabled in some way, some the way that God will supply their need, their daily need, is through the heart of compassion that he gives us to reach out and give 
as we fulfill his will and care for those who have such a need. Give us this day our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation. The Greek word that is used here doesn't necessarily mean enticements, but it literally means test. And that test may involve an enticement, or it may not. We have that wonderful statement in 1 Corinthians that God will not suffer you to be tested, and that's what the word literally says, above that which you are able, and will with a test make a way of escape. Now that's frankly been a puzzle to me. <laughs> we, but we need to always be watching <laughs> for the way of escape. And sometimes it is... Don't walk down that street because you know there's something there that's going to tempt you. Don't get involved in this social media activity because there's going to be something in it that tempts you. And you know better, but you do it anyway. Don't watch this television show. You know, I get on my cell phone, obviously, sexually explicit texts. <laughs> middle of the night, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I immediately delete, <laughs> delete, delete. But obviously there are some people that don't, <laughs> or those wouldn't be coming. If the only way I could stay pure would be to get rid of a cell phone, I'd get rid of a cell phone. Because heaven and hell should not hang in the balance because of something like this. Is there anything in your life that Satan is using as a sneaky crack in the door to get into your life? You better get rid of it or don't walk down that street or even have that relationship with anybody if that's going to be a means that the devil's going to use to draw you into sin. But sometimes the test is different, isn't it? We have people in this church who have lost a job because they would not compromise their faith. That's a test. And those who lost the job rather than compromise their faith pass the test. <laughs> pass the test. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The more modern versions say, forgive us our debts. And that's really what the Greek word means. It means to owe somebody something. But then later, it says if we don't forgive others' transgressions, God won't forgive our transgressions. So you do have transgressions used there. You have the word debt used here. The idea being, if somebody does something against me, and I harbor resentment within my heart and do not forgive them, do not have that cleansed, I can't expect God to extend forgiveness. That's a, that's a tragic thought, isn't it? We're so human. We spoke some weeks ago about the Greek word that's often used for love, agape, which means it's a willful act. It may not always agree with my feelings, but I will act <laughs> that way. Forgiveness, 
I am so thankful that the Father God forgives me. I'm so thankful that in 1 John, if we say that we have no sins, remember he's writing to Christians, if we say that we have no sins, we're liars, the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is just and forgive us our unrighteousness because of our sin because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I can look back over my life and sometimes wonder, why did I ever do that? <laughs> Especially in some of my teen years. <laughs> why did I ever do that? And I am so thankful that I have recognized that sin. I admit it. I've confessed it to God. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses that unrighteousness. Aren't we thankful we have a heavenly father like that? Our father who art in heaven sanctified holy reverent be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this daily bread forgive us our trespasses lead us not in temptation father thank you for being our father amen